With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Hey, welcome in. I'm Doug Gottlieb, and you have downloaded, subscribed, and uh, hopefully you'll rate the All Ball Podcast. If you like this stuff or even some uh, discussions about football, uh, other live interviews, live radio show, you can check me out every day, 3 o'clock Eastern Time, 12 o'clock Pacific. We're on hundreds of stations nationwide. You go to foxsportsradio.com. We're also on SiriusXM or the iHeartRadio app. Check us out. Of course, the All Ball Podcast is fun. Uh, this week, we have two interesting guests that are different than any other guests that we've, we've had. Uh, one is Nick Graham. Nick played at Washington State for his dad, Paul's longtime, uh, uh, longtime um, assistant coach in college and a head coach in college as well. Um, and uh, he's now the head coach. At, his dad's the head coach at Dallas Skyline. But was head coach at, at Wazoo and was my assistant coach when we were at, at Oklahoma State. Nick was just a kid at the time but was like all of our little brother. Now he's kind of a workout guru. He was the developmental coach as a GA for Iowa State most recently. And I want to get his kind of perspective on if you're a parent, how to raise an athletic son. Uh, If you're a workout guy, how long you should be going. Um, A lot of different stuff to get to. Also, uh, Michael Haddix Jr. is going to join us. His dad was a pro football player. He was a basketball player at Siena. But an interesting path after playing for Siena into the world of first Wall Street and now um, helping the finances of athletes um, in, a, in a unique way, advising athletes how to make them kind of connectors with others in the real, real world so that they can manage their own financial portfolio without getting shaken down. It's, it's, a, it's an interesting discussion. I can't wait for you to hear it. Let me get to uh, some of the news of the day, some of the things that I have seen. Um, I'm going to start in college basketball because now I'm going to start in the NBA because we're coming off of the NBA trade deadline. And here's something which you have not heard. And I did both on pod and on radio tell you this was going to happen. Remember the end of last season, there was a healthy discussion by some people's estimation over whether or not they should do away with the Eastern and Western conference playoffs that because now you can get anywhere with, you know, a charter plane 
The idea of East-West, when the West is so utterly and thoroughly dominant, is kind of a joke. What we should have is seeded 1 through 16. Now, at the time, there was a couple of things that the reality of sport, the reality of the business, is it, 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 it shouldn't and likely, very, very likely won't be done. The first thing is this. You are going to do away with the historic rivalries. Right? Historic rivalries. And the historic rivalries are such where in you know, Lakers, Celtics, NBA finals, that's going to help build a number that allows us to yearn for days of yesteryear. And just because Cavs warriors doesn't feel all that sexy, you still want East versus West. It's the best way to engage more of the country. Otherwise you run the risk. Um, otherwise, <clears throat> otherwise you run the risk of what college football has, which is a regional sport. And you don't want that. You, you don't want Clemson versus Alabama, two schools that are divided by a four or five hour drive. Like you, you don't want that. That's not good for business. You need as much of the country engaged as possible. And I think that's the first thing, the history and the overall national engagement. The second part is it makes it really hard as much as ratings will suffer when, when the East was down, think about, Think about the Eastern market, right? I mean, if you have the Celtics going on the road to take on the Portland Trailblazers, Boston, which is a, a vital market and has a, a great fan base in terms of TV viewership with the Celtics, I'm going to stay up till 10 o'clock and watch that thing. There's no chance. You have, you have to protect those home markets and allow them to watch games at a reasonable hour. Mountain time zone is hard enough. And the last thing is this. Water finds its level. When we were kids, or at least when I was a kid, the East was better. It was just better top to bottom than the, than the West is. And then there was a, there's been periods of times in the 90s when the West was far better than the East. And I know that the East ha- has had, a part of it is, you know, the Celtics were bad and the Knicks have seemingly been bad forever. And when you, those your two, and the Sixers were bad for a long time. So when your three signature, and the Bulls have been bad. But even when the Bulls had, remember the Bulls had a number one seed one year, didn't they? Um, and then they went down to Miami, and that, did, that didn't work out so well for them. The fact, though, is the Eastern Conference now, the Celtics, and I guess part of it is you have to say if Gordon Hayward was who he thought he could be but is not yet, the Celtics should still be considered an elite team. The Bucks have proven to be an elite team and seem to have gotten better with Nikola Mirotic. Um, and, and honestly, getting rid of Jabari Parker, I thought, I think helped them. You know, I, I really think it helped them. Helped them defensively, and now they have a stretch four in Nikola Mirotic to go along with a stretch five in Brooke Lopez, who would have thought he's a stretch five. Right? Three years ago, didn't shoot threes. Now that's all he does. I think the 76ers got better. At least their starters got better. I don't know about their chemistry, which has been off, or their bench, which is not nearly as good. They shed it to get those big four. And the Toronto Raptors got better. The Toronto Raptors are substantially better than last year. If you take out Valanciunas, you put in Marcus Gasol. Who's a better player? Marcus Gasol. If you take out... Um, DeMar DeRozan, and you bring in Kawhi Leonard. Who's the better player? Kawhi Leonard. Like, the Raptors have been good, and they added a former Defensive Player of the Year and an NBA Finals MVP. Like, that's a, those are pretty good additions. And so now when you look at it, are the Warriors still the favorites? Yes. But their age is, they're, they're, they have age problems in their bench, and they got to figure out if we're going to play big down the stretch or small. If we play small, that means we're going to sit DeMarcus Cousins. And so even if you take out, if you take out the Warriors, though, Tell me somebody in the West who's far and away better or even marginally better than those top of those other four teams in the East. And that whole idea of we don't need we don't need division. We don't need East and West. We should have if one. It will never happen because of TV, because of how, how hard it is to follow your team when they're playing three hours away. Time zone wise. And two. If you thought it was because the West was dominant, just take a breath. Now the East appears to have better teams at the top, at least in their top four. Let me get you to college basketball. You know, I've, I've, I've heard people say, Mike Francesa said that Zion Williamson's game doesn't transfer to the NBA. Now, I'm like anybody else. I'm cautious about 285 pounds and the pounding of 100 games. 100 games, workouts, practices, what that'll mean to his hips, his knees, his back. That's a lot of weight. And as they tell you, it's not the going up that wears down your body. It's the coming down every time you land. Every time you go up to dunk, it's when you come down. 
But what changed in the NBA is that uh, this is a couple years ago. Derek Williams came out. Derek Williams was playing at Arizona, and he was playing the five. They moved him essentially to center. Remember Derek Williams and, and Momo Jones? And they only got Derek Williams and Momo Jones because uh, Tim Floyd's staff got fired. Tim Floyd's staff got blown up because of the O.J. Mayo investigation. So they get Derek Williams, and they play Derek Williams during his last year at Arizona at the five. So he's being guarded by college centers and he's shooting an unreal percentage from three and he was drafted by Minnesota to be a two, three. And if you go back and look at my old draft rundown when I was at ESPN, you'll notice that I wasn't a buyer into Derek Williams because I didn't think he could shift down a position. Fast forward to now and Derek Williams could be a stretch four in the NBA. I still don't think he would fit in because he wasn't much of a rebounder. He doesn't move that well athletically, but that's essentially what he is. Zion Williamson 10 years ago would be too small to play power forward or small ball center in the NBA. Now kind of think he's perfect. Yeah. He's going to shoot the ball better, but he plays hard. Um, he can make a shot. He competes in the boards, competes defensively. And if you've watched him move laterally, when he's playing hard, he can guard five positions. So did he fit? does he fit the 1990s mold of the NBA? No, but this is in the 1990s. This is 2019, and he's perfect for the league. Does that mean he'll be a superstar? No, I don't, I don't know, but I'm willing to, and excited to find out what he becomes. All right, our first guest is Mike Haddix Jr. Um, he was a very good player at Siena. His dad played uh, in the National Football League, and what he's doing now I think will intrigue you because it's about – not just financial literacy for athletes, but also about uh, being a connector, meeting people, how to the real way to survive and succeed in business. And he's had an unbelievable life and it's not, he hasn't been living very long. Uh, Mike Haddix Jr. was, like I said, star player at Siena, um, tried to play pro football after college and then went into the business sector, went to Columbia uh, for his master's degree, and you'll you'll be fascinated to hear the rest. I, I want to welcome in Mike Haddix Jr., who is a hell of a player at Siena, and now doing something which I think is uh, not only important and um, and and interesting at the same time, but I think it's it's fascinating how he's learned from his his own father's career and trying to help others not make some of the same mistakes his dad made, and trying to help athletes. Uh, put their financial house in order. But, but I, I look, I first became aware Mike Haddix joins us now on the all ball podcast. Uh, I don't know if you know this. Um, I had no idea. Look, I grew up in Southern California and I felt like I knew a ton about college basketball. I had never heard of Siena, the capital district, the passion for basketball up there until I was recruited by Marquette. Marquette's coach was named Mike Dean. Uh, Dino had come from, from Siena to Marquette. And he showed me old videos of one of his point guards. And that's how I became like, I had no idea about Sienna about anything. And then of course you fast forward when uh, Fran McCaffrey was the head coach there, he had recruited me to Notre Dame and now he's the head coach, obviously at Iowa. And I was already kind of a fan of the program already kind of knew about it. Um, you grew up, your dad was a pro football player and a good one. Um, but your body type feels like you could have played in the NFL as a left tackle, like for years, when when you came out of high school, why Siena? Um, so it's funny. So you grew up in, in, in California and didn't hear much about Siena. I didn't know much about Siena. And I grew up in South Jersey right outside of Philly. So I grew up watching college basketball. And I remember you know, kind of being like, all right, maybe I'll go to UCLA. Maybe I'll go to Duke. And then, you know, I'm a 6'6 six, six center. So I changed a bit. Um, but, you know, I had a guy recruit me by the name of Steve Seymour. And he was at Drexel. And then another guy by the name of Rob Jackson was at Seton Hall. Um, when I was a sophomore in high school, uh, I played at San Augustine Prep in, in South Jersey. And, and then, you know, they ended up at Siena and they'd reach back out, you know, my junior year. I didn't know anything about it. I was like, okay, you know, cool upstate New York. And, and I first thought it was New York City or right outside of it. Um, and then started to kind of you know, do some research. And there was, um, there was a guy that I, that I looked up to when I was younger that played at San Augustine also, who was really probably the best player I've ever seen, like 6'9". You know, guy could handle the ball. He ended up going to Siena, and I was like, okay, let me check it out. And then my teammate, uh, who was a point guard in the plane of Princeton, um, guy named Scott Greenman, he was like, I know, I know, I, by the way, out. Scott, 
Scott's an assistant American. I know him really, really well. Yep. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah, Scott's my guy. So we played high school together. And he was like, you should check out Sienna, man. They're obsessed with basketball. And I was like, all right, you know, I'll go take a look. And I get up in the, get in the car, we drive five hours, and they play in like this beautiful 20,000-seat arena right in downtown Albany. And it was like, you know, we'll go to a game, and there's, you know, a bunch of news cameras outside of the game. So I was like, wow, this is like, this is like a pro team in the Capital Region. And they won. You know, my, my senior high school, they went to the tournament. I was like, okay, cool. Give it a shot. The head coach at the time was the guy Rob Lanier, who's at Tennessee now, um, who's a great recruiter. And I was like, cool, this is, this is home. I got there. I started playing right away. I played, I started every game, but like two or three my whole career. And I was like, you know, never look back. Met some great people there. And it was a really cool experience. By the way, why was, you know, when Rob took over, he did recruit well. And uh, obviously he's, I think the nephew, is it nephew of Bob Lanier? I think he's the nephew yeah, of Bob Lanier. So. Um, and, and I know Rob Wells is, as well. You know, he went back to, at, to being t- a Texas assistant in ten, now ten, at Tennessee, and he's doing a great job. Why didn't it work? You guys kind of, th- there was that two-year stretch before the coaching change where it was bad. Why was it so bad? Um, I, yeah, I think it's one of those things. It's, um, you know, we had some injuries, um, and, and it's just, you know, we, we actually had a really good team. It's just, you know, we had some bad luck. I never forget this. My junior year, um, we played Oregon State the first game of the season, and, and it was a back-and-forth game, and we were, like, up by two or three with a minute or so left. And, and, and we end up, like, turning the ball over and losing the game, and it just kind of snowballed. It's one of the things. People got hurt. You know, I ended up hurting my knee, and a bunch of guys got hurt. It was like, a, you know, it just we had some bad luck. And it was – I do think it's sort of – you normally think there's some moments in the season or in games that kind of flip and change things. I mean, we almost beat a Pac-12 team – that was, I think it's back in the time. We always beat a Pac-12 team the first game of the season. We lose that game at the very end of the game. The next game we come out in the tournament, we're really sluggish. We lose in New Orleans, and it kind of snowballed. So we just had some bad luck um, and, and you know, kind of wanted to change. So so they moved on. Fran McCaffrey came in, and then you know, and, and that went really well. But I think it's one of those things where you know, there's, there's a couple moments in a season or a game that when you hit a rough patch, it, it all sort of turns around. Mike Haddix Jr. joining us. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know about the Albany-Siena rivalry, um, and both teams, obviously, Albany strugg- really struggling, obviously. You know, their best player transferred to, grad transferred to Villanova. That didn't help them. Um, Siena, obviously, has gone through a coaching change, so they're still, they're in kind of rebuild mode. But you've played in that game. What's yeah. it like? Um, it's cool. I mean, it's, it's like a, it's a unique college atmosphere because we're, you know, we're not in the same conference, but we're around the corner. We play pickup with those guys in the summertime. Um, and it is, and the capital region is a unique place where, you know, most people that graduate from Siena or Albany, they stay in the area. So there's just years and years and years of alumni that live in a town. And that, that game is 20, 22,000 people, you know, at a college game on a Saturday night. And it is, and it is just, you know, kind of a battle. So it's a cool atmosphere that doesn't happen a lot in college basketball. Um, and it's also like, you know, what, what, what happened is, you know, we would beat Albany, but they would win the America East, and then you know a year they almost beat UConn in the first round, and then we got to hear all summer that they're better because they played in the tournament. We didn't make it, and it was like you know some of that stuff that just went back and forth. So it's just a unique place that I don't think I think just all the the factors sort of line up to make it a really cool and special game that you can't really replicate. Why didn't you play football? So I grew up so growing up in so my dad's from small town Mississippi, and it's like you know you get out of the home you play football. I grew up in South Jersey, and it was, you know, at that time, you know, Philly and South Jersey is really big time in football now, but at that time, it was, it was all basketball. And, I, you know, I grew up, I played and, and, and played in, in, uh, in middle school. It was really good, and then I went to a really good high school, and I just, it never crossed my mind. I just had some success in, in uh, basketball and just was like, okay, I'm going to keep this thing rolling. Uh, but interesting, interestingly enough, the second I got done my senior year, Coach McCaffrey called me. He's like, hey, you want to play football? And I'm like, He's talking about man. He's like, "Hey, you want to play football?" And I'm like, "Eh, what do you mean?" He's like, "The Vikings called me. They say you got good hands, and good feet. You can be a tight end." And I was like, "All right, I'll give it a shot." Um, and then I had like you know, five or six teams. I went to the Giants and the Eagles and kind of and worked out uh, for a bunch of teams. And it was a really cool experience. But I also realized that football is one of those games where tough. To, I had never played in high school or growing up, so it's, it's a bit tough to pick up. Um, but it was a, it was kind of a cool experience. I think if I had a little more time at it, you know, I might might be a football player right now. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I, I've talked to a bunch of GMs, 
and uh, NFL GMs, and they so they're like, "Hey, find me a find me a basketball player." But and their their prerequisite is always he has to have played football in high school, has to have played football growing up, like that. You look at guys that have been successful, the Tony Gonzalez, the Antonio Gateses of the world. They they played football. The idea yeah. that that you can just hey, I'm you're such a good athlete that you can learn a sport in your twenties is really really hard to believe. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a really technical game, and I never forget. This. I was working out for the Giants. And they were telling me, you know, trying to explain hand placement and rolling hips and all this stuff. And I had no clue sort of how to move like a football player. And it was, you know, coming off the line, all these things that were, you know, second nature. I just didn't have a clue. And I think I knew it, but I, I knew they knew it before I knew. Okay, so you, you get the football dream goes away. Yeah. Then what'd you do? So I was thinking about going overseas, um, was going back and forth for a while. Uh, didn't know if I wanted to continue playing basketball or you know, I was pre-med in college. So I was thinking about going to med school. I just didn't know. Um, and then I decided just, you know, to, to, to join the workforce. Um, so I kind of figure out my way, you know, with studying a little bit to, to go to medical school. And then you know, my father-in-law, who's a doctor, was like, listen, man, um, and take some time, do some other things, kind of experience some stuff out there. Got into sales and then was like, you know, I wanted more. I moved down to New York City. Um, and then what I were you selling? What, what, were you, what were you selling? I was selling medical devices. What, me, what medical devices? Uh, so I worked for a company called Covidian. Um, mm-hmm. we sold these, I don't get too technical. We sold these devices that help you like, you know, do these, do these resections and do these surgeries. So I go sit in surgeries and then I sold, and then I sold stents, um, mm-hmm. for Boston Scientific. So I did that. Thought it was really cool. Um, wanted a little bit more within the city, met a bunch of New York city, met a bunch of people, ended up getting to Columbia, uh, for business school. And I was like, you know, this is kind of a cool world. And I like, you know, I was the first, you know, guy in my family and anybody that I knew that was going to an Ivy league school and then going to, to grad school. So I was like, all right, it's kind of cool. And it kind of opened up this world of, you know, these, these jobs and careers that I didn't even know existed. It was a really cool experience. Uh, so you get, you get out of Columbia. Now, now you have an Ivy yeah. league master's degree yeah. which is incredibly impressive you've worked a little bit you've worked in uh, in medical sales then what'd yeah. you do um i went and worked in wall street i was an investment banker so i was you know i you know i thought you know this was a cool field that that that's another field that no one that i ever even heard of. i never heard of this job until i got there so i went and worked in wall street i was an investment banker i was doing mergers and acquisitions you know, shirt and tie every day sitting at the desk building models you're working for 20 hours a day you know, living, living the Wall Street dream, um, but also realized I missed, you know, you know, being out and about and, and, and a little bit of sales, which is kind of being around and, and being entrepreneurial. So I did the Wall Street thing. It was cool. It taught me a lot, um, but it kind of clicked when I was there because, you know, candidly, a lot of people on Wall Street, you know, didn't look and feel like me. And, 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 and I say that meaning, were a lot of guys, you know, that I grew up with that were playing basketball or just people that I knew that were in those circles. This was like a different world that was, you know, kind of country club. And I just, uh, and, I, and I felt like there was a lot of cool things I was learning, but I wanted to use those skills to work with people that were similar to me. Okay, so before we, before we get to that, um, yeah. as somebody who, look, you, you don't make it, at Siena, you don't have the career yeah. you had unless you have a tremendous work ethic, right? You wouldn't have obviously yeah. got into, you wouldn't have been pre-med and graduated or gotten into Columbia or graduated Columbia unless you have work ethic. But compare and contrast the lifestyle. You mentioned 20 hour weeks, w- which is harder yeah. being a basketball player or being an investment banker? Um, I think, I think being an investment banker is harder. Um, because I think that when you're a basketball player, you know, you have a love for the game. And it's one of these things where the things that you're doing are all sort of building to, you know, playing a game or even, you know, you're running sprints, but you know it'll make you better, you know, when you're, when you're playing pickup. Like all these things you've done for so long, and it's all sort of built out of just loving playing basketball and a lot of times, you know, putting the ball through the hoop. You all sort of build towards these things. Um, but as an investment banker, it's just a, it's a, it's a different world. If you go sit at a desk and you're sort of waiting for it's, – it's sort of reactionary. So for me, it was like you know, I knew basketball. I loved it. I worked because I knew that, like, there was, like, this drive in me. I think, you know, when you're in the workforce, it's just a little different. You know, that motivation is a little different. Um, and I do think that's harder. I think mentally, uh, I think physically, you know, the basketball thing is, you know, it, 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 it's hard and it's, 
you know, it's hard work. Um, but I do think that, in my opinion, the investment banking thing is a little bit harder. Yeah, I, I always thought, you know, we always think of ourselves as athletes. Like, look, we get up and we work out, we work hard, we, you know, and um, we, we, we work so hard at our craft in order to be great. And, we, and you do. But there's a limit to how much you can you can do per day. Like these guys, are like, well, I spent all day in the gym. Like, no, you you didn't, right? Like, you can go yeah. hard for an hour, and then you got to take time out. Then you can go lift or whatever, and get something to eat, and you hang out a little bit, and then you can go hard for an hour. You can play for a long time, but that's not, as you said, you know, putting in fifteen, sixteen hours days when you're grinding. It's a different sort of grind, and it doesn't. Yeah. I'm not trying to diminish what it takes to be an athlete, but. Um, but it's a, it's almost a rewiring of it there. But on the other hand, you have to have the mental toughness of an athlete to push through fatigue, which I don't know if, you know, every civilian in the workforce kind of naturally has, whereas in athletics, um, you got to push through, right? That's, that's why you, that's really why you run for conditioning. It's not because you really need to run for conditioning. It's because it, it teaches your mind kind of the mental the mental approach to pushing through when your body says I'm done, not truly being done. Yeah, completely, completely agree. It's, it's, you know, different strokes for different folks, I guess. Right. It's, you know, we, we all have this sort of makeup. And I think that, and when I, even when I went to the workforce, it was one of those things where like, cool, you play, you know, you played athletics. That's sort of a, a step up because it's, yes. it just shows that you, know, you can sort of grind through something or get through things, even when you think you can't do it. So I, I do think it's, you know, it, you know, it, it does, you know, that there is some sort of mental toughness, that everyone just can't do. And there's, you know, there's people that I remember in college all the time. It was like, Hey, you know, I wish I had a scholarship. I'm like, no, you don't because you go home for Thanksgiving and Christmas and I got, you know, 6 a.m. practice. And I know for yeah. a fact that the, the, the day they say you can come get up at 6 a.m. and walk across the snow and come work out, you're going to be like, I don't want to play anymore. Um, it's, it, I, I want to, I want to get to the, what you're doing now, but before I forget, yeah. there has been North Carolina state scored 24 points last week. What was the worst yeah. loss? you can ever remember taking? Oh, so um, the worst loss that I'll never forget is, is my senior year in the MAC championship. Um, and it wasn't because we didn't score. It was just like, you know, we were winning the whole game and kind of got away from it. That was like the worst loss that it stings. But I remember a game we played Penn my junior year at Penn and we just got absolutely blitzed. Like, it was, you know, one of those games that's a few days before Christmas break and everyone wants to go home for a day or two. And we we got out of the locker room. I think it was like 20 to 2 at some point. And we kind of looked up and were like, what's happening? They were hitting shots. We were half asleep. And by the time we woke up, you know, we were getting blown out. And that game, like, we just, like, we didn't have a shot. And it was it was one of those games where, like, that was probably the worst loss that I had in my career, and, you know, other than the, the championship because, like, we could have went to the tournament that year. But – but that was just like a, you know, you walk out and you're not prepared to play, and someone who's hitting on all cylinders. It was, it was a wake up call, and that game was over yeah. before it started. All right, here, here's mine. Well, we had some bad ones when I was in Notre Dame. We we only won nine games or seven games. I don't remember. I kind of deleted that part. Of it. I think we we're nine and eighteen. So I I try I try to not remember uh, some of those some of those losses. Um, I remember like one time there was a huge snowstorm. This is in 19 winter of early 1996, massive snowstorm. We had to fly into Albany and then bus to, to Boston to play Boston college game was supposed to be on ESPN. Instead, they, they, they did, they canceled a bunch of games. We played like three hours later on ESPN two nine o'clock start Conte forum. And we were down like 24 at the half. And John McLeod, who just, he, he didn't have the voice to yell at people like started yelling at halftime. And then the second half, he literally had no voice and you couldn't hear him. And it was the, the gym was empty and he was trying to get his point across and he was over there talking like, and you couldn't hear him at all on the, on the floor. <clears throat> but the, the most, I don't know, to me personally, the worst one was my sophomore year at Oklahoma state. We were picked last in the big 12 and we had a, we, we had a soft schedule. We played, we were really pretty good and we're playing Texas down at Texas. That this is uh, Tom Penders last year and they just blitzed us. They had Luke Axtell, and Chris Mim, um, and you know both you know, Luke Axel shot a ton of threes, and this was the day that he was making all of them. And I remember being down. I don't know. We got caught on a bad switch or something. We weren't playing well, and we were down. We were down like eighteen. And he he took me out, and it wasn't. I didn't feel like it was my fault for why he took me out. 
And uh, I, I switched on like a handoff of a like size. Like we, we switched on any handoffs of like size guys. And even though Luke yeah. Axtell was like six foot nine, like technically he was a, he was a two or he was a three. And so that was an auto switch. So I auto switch and we doubled the ball and they make one extra pass and they hit a three, he takes me out. And I came over and he's like, I said, why, why'd you, why'd you take me out? I, I, I switched. And he said, you know, he started yelling at me and I said, well, that's some bullshit. And uh, he, he's like, you just sit there, watch. And, and I had to sit there the whole time. And to, you know, sometimes those blowout games are bad, but you also can get your stats and you can get to where you can kind of recover and feel pretty good. And we actually did make a little bit of a comeback. We were down like 20. I think it ended up being 11 or something like that. But to, to be benched and to watch, I thought that was, that was the hardest one on me. All right, so you get done, Columbia lost. Uh, Columbia uh, as Masters. You go to work in Wall Street. And you're like, eh, doesn't really fit, but I'm learning a lot. What was the yeah. next step? Um, the next step is I actually went to, so I reached out to a friend of friend, and I, and I met with Troy Vincent, who you know works in the NFL, and played with the Eagles, you know, was, had the PA for a long time, and I met with him, and I basically told him you know, sort of what I was doing now and what my passion was, and I wanted to sort of take all these lessons and how he helped you know, these guys are, you know, like my dad or like the current, the guys I played with that end up making the NBA. How do we, you know, fix this? Um, and he was like, you know, this is kind of cool. I think you got a unique background to help me do this. You know, the NFL has a personal finance camp. So I started doing that. Um, and it was like, that was like a once a year thing for two or three days. Um, but while I was doing that, I started to, I was a financial advisor for players. So I worked for, worked with NBA and NFL players. And basically manage their finances. So I did some teaching on the side, and then I worked directly with players and, and helped them, you know, pay bills and, and financially plan and save and invest and, and all that. So, so that was, you know, the transition, like taking what I learned on Wall Street and trying to apply it um, you know, to a bunch of players. So, so then what would you do? So then, uh, you know, I did that for a few years. Um, and then I basically, you know, I, I started to think, and I – it's great to work with work with guys directly, and I work with probably you know work with a ton of guys, you know, big name NBA players that everybody knows and NFL guys. Um, but I wanted to sort of create this this sort of macro solution because what I what I realized was I would go sort of pitch a player and say, "Here's why you should work with me," and there were ten other guys saying the same thing, but the the 19 year old or 20 year old player and their parents were making these decisions you know, sort of blind. So they were picking me because my story sounded good. And just like I came in there, there was nine other guys behind me. And if they felt the person behind me story sounded great, they, they chose them. And they just, it, but it was sort of, you know, the blind leading the blind. And if I was a bad guy, I said the same thing as a good guy. And there was, you know, just no one knew how to decipher that. So what I decided um, was to sort of, if we can create this system that doesn't manage players. And so we don't manage guys. We don't manage their finances. We don't advise them. We create this system where players can learn and understand how to assess how to assess the right people to work with, and they get connected to the right people. So, we, so what I basically realized, you know, was at Columbia, you know, you pay a bunch of money and you learn a lot, but it's also about the network. The most important thing is the network, and the same thing. I was at Goldman Sachs; it was about the network, and that was things that were so important. I was like, you know, if we can take that network of really smart people and create a network with athletes and connecting these two worlds where really smart people are teaching athletes and the people that are not chasing them down, they don't necessarily need athlete money. So, you know, the guys that I work with love, would love to be in the room with the people that are richer than them that made it in finance or real estate and saying, if we can bring these worlds together, then everybody benefits because the the, the hundred million dollar real estate guy is not going to take a million dollars from this player and disappear. And that player is going to want to be in the room with that real estate guy because that real estate guy is not in their DMs or their Instagram or chasing them down and trying to get them, you know, trying to nickel and dime them. So just to create an ecosystem where everyone can benefit and sort of learn together was really something I was passionate about. And so, you know, I left my, my job about a year ago and being kind of creating this world um, for, for players. And we did something really cool down at the Super Bowl. And I don't know if you can call it Super Bowl or Big Game or whatever they call it now. Um, but to, did that down down last week in Atlanta where we had a room with, you know, 20, 30 NFL guys. And then we had, you know, a panel with a guy like Justin Tuck, who's now a vice president of Goldman Sachs and some other successful people in business. 
close the door and say, guys, let's talk about career transition and, and finding the right people and investing and all these cool things that you guys want to learn from people you actually want to learn from. Okay, so I, here's, here's, a, here's a question I have. Basketball is generally a city game, right? I mean, like, look, mm-hmm. you, you, you played, like, the only way to really play it is, like you said, you grew up in Jersey, football wasn't even a part of the conversation. And a lot of, a lot of guys, whether white or black or indifferent, you don't come from a ton. Um, yeah. you know, the, the Steph Curry's and, and, and Clay Thompson's are the exception. The norms are more, even the KD's of the world, but there's, there's lots of parents or advisors or AU guys or college coaches. And it, a kid's going to go overseas and make 50, 75, a hundred first gig out of, out of college. What would you, how would you advise them? What, what's the, what's the type of discussions you would have with a kid who just came out of college, not an NBA player. They all think they're going to be mm-hmm. NBA players, but they're going to make their first foray into playing overseas. Yeah, I think, you know, the first thing we talk about, we, we actually don't, you know, don't talk about finance. We talk about, you know, you have a, you know, you got an opportunity to make some money playing ball. And, and that's great and budget and save. But the most important thing is use that opportunity. If it's, a, it's, a, if it's sort of a free, you know, if you're going to play in Italy, you know, go experience life and meet people. If you're playing in the, the G League, you know, meet people in that town. I think being a, being a professional basketball player, there's a ton of ex-professional basketball players or ex-basketball players, you know, me and you on this podcast. But to be a current basketball player is a really unique and small group of people. So while you're playing, meet as many people as possible. Even if you play in Italy, when you come back home for three or four months, you're like, hey, yeah, I'm a professional basketball player. Go meet the, you know, the richest person in your town. Sit and meet somebody. Say hello. So the first thing we teach guys are, you know, use the basketball the way it uses you. You know, people are, you know, people invite you places and people want to do things for you because you play basketball. You know, take advantage of those opportunities and meet people. Because if you build a network by the time you're 30 or you're 25, you know, you, you may not, you're not LeBron and you're not Steph. You're not going to have $300 million in the bank. But if you have, you know, 20 people you can call that are successful in different things, then all of a sudden, like, you can build these connections and, and get a leg up opposed to coming back and starting and trying to figure out how to do a resume. So that's sort of the first thing yeah, we talk I, about. I just, Mike, I just want to hop in. I, Mike, I just want to hop in real quick. I, yeah. See, this is, it's, it's brilliant, your, your, your philosophy. And it's one of the reasons, and look, if you feel differently, it's, it's fine. Like, it's a discussion we've had on this podcast. It's, it's yeah. one of the reasons that I, one of the things I think people miss on about college athletes in how the benefit of playing college athletics, where people always say, well, the school makes this and the school makes that. And my point is like, look, Forget about the fact that you get into a school that most of us, a lot of us couldn't have got, like I couldn't have gotten into Notre Dame on my own in a high school. Um, for, okay. But I, I do think that's a portion of it. I think the training and the books and the, and the, and the tutors and all of the other, all the gear and all the promotion you get is a part of it. But the doors that it's open in terms of the people that you meet, I'll never forget my first year at Notre Dame, we had somebody who came in, I don't even remember who it was. And they spoke to us and they said, Hey, look, I know you think, so I, we asked, well, why at Notre Dame do we have to live with another student our first year? Like, why can't we live with basketball players? Because that way we're on the same schedule. We kind of, you know, get, and they said, look, you can live with basketball players the rest of your career, the rest of your, you know, whatever you want. But get to know the rest of the students because those are the people that you're going to work with or work for or or try and, you know, work, have a have a business relationship with for the rest of your life. Like, Notre Dame people are going to be successful. You want to know all those people and, like you said, build a network. And I, I think sometimes we get so we, we get jaded by like a thousand bucks here, five hundred bucks there. That that's not going to change anything. Relationships that are yeah. created in college, those last a lifetime, and those benefit you way more than any monetary amount that you can make off the school. Yeah, listen, I, you know, I completely agree with you. You know, like you know, we have the discussion. I talk about this all the time with my teammates and. And, and it's like, yeah, hey, we should get paid and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I don't want to, you know, I, you know, I go back and forth to that. But I do think, um, you know, some of the best times I had, you know, were being broke in college. And, and I got to do some cool things that no one else got to do. And like you said, you got to meet some cool people. But, you know, you, you got to travel places and do cool things. And you have the school makes a ton of money. Um, but, you know, like you said, use it. So, like, you know, I tell everybody, like, I go speak at different schools. And we go to these schools, and I sit in the room, and I go, like, go to the alumni directory and find, like, the 20 richest people that went to your school and just call them on the phone. They're playing on the basketball team. Can I come hang out with you? And it's like, if you call and say, I'm a student, 
Maybe that call, maybe you get a call back. You, maybe you don't. If you call and say, I'm an alumni, they probably think you're looking for, an, for a job and they probably don't call you back. If you're a current guy, it's like, yeah, cool. You don't want anything from me. So come hang out. And it's you know, all those things I think are important, but it's, you know, I, I say this all the time. It's like, but a lot of times when you have people sort of advising you on what to do, you know, their incentives are for, you know, for them to make money or for them to feel good. And it's not necessarily always the most beneficial to the player. Um, last thing here. Um, obviously you're, you, you talk now with some of the biggest and brightest stars in professional sports in terms of managing the, managing their money. Are, are we still in a place where guys can lose it all or are they making enough money where, um, you know, like it's just so much crazy. I'm more, I'm more talking Anthony Davis turning down $240 million. Have we crossed over into the it's funny money now? And, uh, we won't, we won't see the days of the broke athlete. Um, so I think that, so like, I, yeah, I don't manage guys anymore. I stepped away from it. So I do more of the SK thing, but I, I do think that, um, I mean, you'll still see some stories. They'll be fewer. And, and we're hoping to sort of help change that. But I think it's, it's not just because the money's so, so big. I think you know, players are seeing these examples in a negative way that, you know, ahead of that, that were before them, but also in a positive way. Like you look at, you know, the guys like Magic or guys like Junior Bridgman or LeBron and like, they're like, wow, like those guys made it cool to think about your business. And even like Jay-Z, it's like these guys, like often it's like, yeah, it's not cool to just, you know, blow through a bunch of money. Let's think about being a business and, and creating these gen- generational opportunities for, you know, for people beneath you. So I think, you know, social media, you know, all the Instagrams and, tw- and Twitter and all these things, and players just like sort of speaking and being more openly about it has made it cool to to care about, you know, creating a legacy and all these things. So I think that's one piece of it. Where I think like, listen, the, the bigger the money gets, the, the smarter the scam artists will get. So I think we're still going to see, you know, broke guys out there because I think it's like, you know, people will always find ways to say like, you know, yep. back in the day, it was like, give me a hundred grand and it's going to, you know, in a couple of years, it'll be like, Hey, give me $20 million to develop this hotel in, in Times Square. So there'll always be scam artists who are, who are trying to be one step ahead. Um, but I think they're, you know, the percentages are just getting lower and lower. Give me this. One of the smartest cats that nobody knows. Like you, I don't want obviously I don't ever want you to talk about anybody else's money, but somebody who you mentioned Bridgman buying all those Burger Kings, uh, I know Jamal Mashburn, who of course has bought uh, a ton of stuff. I think Papa John's as well as uh, as, as Lexus dealerships. Um, obviously, Magic and people point out LeBron. Is there somebody you've met uh, along the path here these last couple of years, or even this last year, in in advising people and and teaching them about financial literacy and connecting connecting the dots? You're like, man, here's a guy who nobody knows that quietly completely gets. Uh, how to how to handle and expand their, their financial portfolio? Yeah, I think you know. There's a guy you know. I'm, I, I we we sat down last week. Um, Mason Plumley plays for the Nuggets. He is, and like you know, I hate this you know the Duke thing is everybody probably jumps on the Duke, but I'll give you a second after that. But but he's a guy that is really smart in his business and also has a lot of interest and sort of you know smart enough to know kind of how to handle different things and how to, you know, be smart. But, he, you know, he is a really, really sharp guy. I'll give you a couple more. Um, Josh Hart, plays in the Lakers, super smart, you know, in L.A., you know, for, for now. Hopefully he's still there. Um, in L.A., but has a lot of interest in, in this sort of thinking. I think, you know, even before LeBron got there, you know, the, you know, the thought process, or even, you know, before, you know, before LeBron got there, the thought process being like, I'm in L.A., like how do I – how do I sort of, you know, take the next step? Um, and I think a third person that a lot of people don't think about is actually really smart in their businesses, Indomitian Sue. So he's a guy that's involved with a lot of different things, but also is, you know, connected to a lot of different owners in the league and, and, and sort of does his business at a level that is the same way that owners of teams do business. So those guys are out there and, like, you know, they're, you know, they're not few and far between. It's just, you know, you, the big-name guys are the ones you see. But there's a lot of guys that are getting smarter and smarter. They're out there doing cool stuff. Mike, last thing, how can somebody get a hold of you? Um, yeah, so I'm not gonna get so uh so yeah, feel free to you know sort of shoot me shoot me an email to my uh our company's called Verified Sports and Entertainment. Um so feel free to shoot me an email, M Haddix, so M H A D D I X at verified S E so sports entertainment dot com or just you know hit me up on Instagram, um, you know, Haddix eight two three or Twitter athlete advisor one. 
it, it's a it's a really important thing that you're doing uh, for for other athletes, and obviously uh, your background is incredibly impressive. I really appreciate you spending some time with me, and look forward to catching up in the very near future. Definitely had a great time. Uh, thanks for having me, and look forward to doing it again soon. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret, like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Free samples, free shipping, and our 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step and into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off at Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. As many of you know, I played at Oklahoma State. I played for a head coach named Eddie Sutton. Um, his longtime assistant was Paul Graham. Paul Graham's nickname is The Judge. The Judge. Because The Judge would tell you good or bad most of the time it was bad. The Judge, uh, who was, went on to be a head coach at Washington State, <laughs> he would do this thing. He would snort all the time. And, you know, if you go into the basketball offices back when The Judge was there, <laughs> you, would, you, you would hear... <laughs> And one of the assistant coaches would be like, hey, hey, man, get, get, that, get that shit out. Like, <laughs> it was bad. Uh, but Paul Graham was always a kind of no-nonsense, in-your-face, old-school, do-what-I-tell-you sort of coach. An excellent recruiter as well. I'll never forget this. I, I, I've told many people, I think I got a handful of comments from Eddie Sutton during my time playing for him. I got one compliment from Paul Graham, ever. One. We, we played Texas Tech down in Lubbock, and I think it was my senior year. Uh, no, no, he, got, he wasn't there. He wasn't with He got the head coaching job my senior year. So it was my junior year. My junior year, we go down there. We played in the old place, and it smelled like horse manure because they had the circus in there before. Um, it was before the year before they opened up, it was the United Spirit Arena or whatever it's called. Um, and I played really well. It was, it, it might've been on super, uh, NFC championship Sunday. And I threw a lob to Desmond Mason, which, uh, was a great little inbounds play. A lot of you guys know, I have an affinity for, un, you know, underneath out of bounds, sideline inbounds where, you know, you downstream into the, your leaper who kind of loops around, you throw it to the rim. And I threw it a little bit. Too high, a little bit too far, but Desmond Mason's a freak athlete. He caught it, he finished it. I just made the right plays, the right reads. I probably had 10 points and 13 assists. We never lost a tech when I played. And I remember that the next day, the coaches were great in the film, and I 
just popped in the office and he called me and shit, shit, judge. You play all right last night. You played pretty good, but pretty good. Now, that was it. That was all I ever got from him as far as a compliment. His son, Nick, was like our little brother, you know, like any assistant coach's son. He was always around the program. If we were playing video games. He was hanging out with us. Uh, Nick went on. He had an outstanding high school career, went on and played in college, played for his dad. And he's been an assistant. He's been a mentor. He's been he's actually writing a book um, uh, kind of a, a, from the Christian perspective, uh, thoughts and and. Um, it's like a devotional message. Really amazing. He's a fascinating guy. You should follow him on Instagram, follow him on Twitter. He'll tell you all about his social media following. And he's had workout programs in Dallas and in Denver, Colorado. He's helped me with my program. Most recently, he was with Iowa State as a GA, but as their developmental head coach. And he joins us now on the All Ball Podcast. Nick, look, most recently you were obviously at, at Iowa State. We, and you and I were talking off air about Iowa State, K-State. K-State, of course, just beat Kansas. Iowa State has split with Kansas this year. Kind of interesting. They don't play them late in, in the season. Who do you think is more likely if Kansas doesn't win the Big 12? And it's, it's hard because, obviously, you know those guys at Iowa State so well. Who do you think is more likely to win the league, K-State or I-State? I mean, I think I'm going to go have, I'm going to, I'm probably a little biased, but I have to go with Iowa State. I think that Kansas State's one of the best uh, defensive teams in the country, but I mean, Iowa State's just so versatile in how they can guard you. And I think, I just think they're skilled enough um, to outscore people. I just think that they can, can outscore their opponents better than uh, Kansas State. So I have to go yeah, with I, Iowa State. Now, K State beat them at, at, in Hilton, right? By one point, slowing the game down. Of course, they still had to play in yep. the Octagon. And we'll see. I mean, yep. sometimes, it, sometimes, as you know, like K-State's thing in the past has not been um, sometimes these, these games with, with their big opponent. It's been the, you know, the, they'll lose one yep. to a, you know, a bottom feeder in the league. Whereas, you know, Iowa State, it's been more the beating the Kansases of the world, even on their, their own home floor. Although this year, obviously, they took care of business and they lost at their place. Um, all right, let, let's, let's get down to, we were, we were talking, you and I were discussing this. Uh, Dean Wade. Preseason Big 12 Player mm-hmm. of the Year. He's an NBA player. Yep. Why? Man, I just think he's versatile. He's super skilled. Um, I mean, he can step out on the perimeter. I think that I think that he's more athletic probably than you do. I think he's sneaky athletic. Um, he's tough, super skilled. Uh, can play with his back to the basket. It has all the finishes. But really, he can really pick and pop and get his, get his feet set, step into a shot. I mean, his shot and his footwork on the perimeter is fluid like a guard to me. He's not like this big, clunky uh, big that needs a lot of time to get his shot off. I think he, he truly is a mismatch problem. I don't think that he's a first-round talent. I don't think that he's somebody that can start, but I think, he, I think he's on the NBA roster next year for sure. Yeah, I, I guess the question becomes, can you guard your position, right? That's really like, – and, and if he's going to be a stretch five – um, he's not a rim protector, but he can put his body like in college. He takes a lot of charges, so he gets his body. And so that, that part doesn't concern me. The shooting doesn't concern me, you know, cause you can, you guys will stretch their range. I mean, look at Brooke Lopez. He never shot threes until like three years ago. And now he's a, that's all he does is shoot threes. And I know Brooke's a lot bigger than him, but the point is that you can improve your shooting range through, through hard work, which, but my, my can he guard anybody? If he switches on a ball screen against an NBA guard, can he guard laterally? Yeah, no, I, I think he may struggle with that. I think that, you know, I think that he can, the high-end guards he's going to struggle with. Um, but I think some of the other guards, I think he can at least keep them in front of him and make them work and just make them take challenge too. Um, Texas got a big win going back to last night. I'm I'm interested in your take. They have a young big guy who, I don't know, I mean, I feel like Jackson Hayes, who's just kind of coming to his own. And I know that he'll be told to leave, and it'll probably be a lottery pick if he leaves. I still think he needs another year. Um, what do you think of Jackson Hayes in terms of who he's most like and what, what ultimately he could be? Um, yeah, I think he has a huge upside. Um, I, don't, I think he's more athletic than skilled right now. Um, but I think that he's going to go. I mean, that's just what they do, right, and try to develop on the run. Uh, I'm drawing a blank on a comparison. I just think he's super athletic. Um, he needs to polish up his skills. He doesn't really have a face-up game. He's more of a rim runner, offensive rebound, paint protector kind of guy. So, but yeah, I think that I think that he's I think he's going to leave. I think that 
you know, with this team in Texas. I think that, say, for example, if you put him around players like Iowa State, he would actually look a lot better. I think the way Texas is, is like Texas, we were talking the other day, the thing about Texas is, is I feel like, you know, they don't have people that can space the floor. Um, they kind of have the same type of player, so you can just – you can just claw, you can uh, just pack it in, clog the paint, and uh, there's not really any driving lanes. There's not any room for him to operate. So, um, I want to ask you about training. Um, you're a guy you've worked with some of the best uh, with pros, obviously with with guy like Jimmer, who is continues to light it up in China, and with other pros, with some yeah. of the elite college players, and with with high school players, whether it's in Dallas or in Denver. Markel Fultz was just traded to Orlando, okay, and. I don't know how much of it is mental, how much of it is physical. I do think there is a good portion of it which is mental. If you were to train Markel Foltz, what would you do? Man, I I I agree with you 100%. I think it's, you know, I, I say all the time, uh, we're doing kids, we're doing players a disservice because everybody tells you that sports is 80% mental and 20, 20% physical. But us as guardians of the game in terms of coaches and teachers and stuff like that, we probably focus – Less than 10% not being generous on the mental. You know, you watch him, he had a fluid jump shot. It wasn't great, but it was completely different. He had a fluid jump shot and um, when he was at Washington, and all of a sudden he can't shoot a free throw, and, you know, the world's against him and all that. You, and sometimes we fail to forget that this is an 18-year-old kid that probably has not been through a lot of adversity in his adult life. It's a hell of a thing for your first, true um, taste of adversity to happen on the stage in which it's happening to him, you know, living with the, I don't want to be a number one draft pick, but so my first thing with him, I mean, before we even stepped on the court or as we stepped on the court, it wouldn't even be about improving anything with this, his game. It would be kind of developing the connection, developing the trust and getting him, getting him to open up and, and try to figure out where that goes. I kind of took that page um, from Chauncey. Um, who, as you know, is a mentor of mine uh, as a leader and obviously with development. But a lot of times, every now and then, when he works out with with, uh, younger NBA guys, he'll jump in to work out with them. Um, And he told me his strategy for doing that is not to uh, really work on the basketball, but kind of get them comfortable, you know, just opening up and just talking the game and talking about their vulnerabilities and insecurities. So that's probably the approach I would take to see if we could – could uh really help him mentally um i mentioned i mean like like a guy like jimmer what's it been like to work with him why, why has I, I have my own feelings as to why he didn't make it in the league and yeah. um but but he obviously is is exceptionally uh successful playing in china what's he like to work yeah. with um he's amazing he's the, he's the most genuinely nice guy I tell people all the time uh a great player uh, but a much uh, an even greater person. Um, the, my the reason I respect him so much is you know we when we work out you know I would work him out uh, and it may be kids in the gym it may be a youth workout before his workout or after his workout and even you know I remember one time he came and spoke to the kids and somebody called him a bust like question and answer somebody you know said that he was a bust and I just kind of paid attention to how he uh, handled that with humility. He has a lot of a lot of character. He doesn't shy away from that. Um, but he's just, uh, I think that allows him, because he's a great person, that allows him to be a great player. But he's smart. In terms of offensive, he is one of the smartest one-on-one offensive players I've ever met. You know, I get, it's not fair to say you're Jimmer's trainer, because I pretty much just am a big cheerleader and just watch him. But just how he understands the game. Obviously, his limitations are, you know, his athletic makeup in terms of what you said earlier, keeping people in front of him. Um, but just how smart he is, um, whatever the defense does is wrong. Um, I've seen him score on anybody, bigger guys, quicker guys, whatever. He always has a recipe in that one-on-one setting. So it's been a fun, it's been fun to watch him um, work in the offseason the last four years and then turn on the TV and see him do it. And like, yeah, it's not the NBA, but, you know, a guy's going to get 75 points. That says a lot about his offensive skill set. All right, I want to ask you quickly about, about your method in terms of training. Um, let's say it's a high school kid or a, a high school yeah. or, or college, college age kid. Is there, a, is there a reasonable amount of training? You know, some guys, they say, well, all day in the gym. And I'm like, look, I always mm-hmm. felt like 45 to an mm-hmm. hour max in terms of shorter, 
uh, that way and more and more intensity. Um, obviously, there are ways, you know, you can get on the on the machine, you know, on the on the gun and shoot a ton just to get reps. But in terms of working with a guy, get getting a quality workout, is there an optimum length? Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. Um, and again, I, I, I'm so fortunate that I was not a lot of people that do what I do get to have somebody like Chauncey Billups take them under a wing for three or four years. And we talk about that all the time. And that's one of my biggest takeaways from working out the NBA guys, you know, all these guys that, that are trainers that want to train NBA guys that, you know, you see it all the time. They put a million cones on the floor and they think they're going to go work out super hard for an hour and 50 minutes. Like, that's not going to happen. When I worked out with Jimmer, we never worked out longer than, let's say, an hour and 10 minutes. Between 45 minutes and an hour and 10 minutes. Um, I think that it may be longer with older, it may be a little bit longer with younger guys just because you have to get their skill set up to the point where they can work out efficiently. A lot of times when you have the longer workouts with younger players is because they make so many mistakes. I mean, you may have to teach a high school kid. There's a lot of high school kids that are averaging 20 points that can't dribble with their eyes up. <laughs> so, you, so you may have to take 15, 20 minutes to break that down. But once you get past that point, it's about being as efficient as possible. It's funny. I was working out with uh, some kids in Colorado, and, you know, they want to tell me what I want to hear. And I said, you don't want to be in a gym all day, do you? And he's like, no, I want to be in here four or five hours. Like, no, you don't, man. We live in Colorado. You know, you want to go, maybe you have a girlfriend. You want to go hang out in the mountains. There's nothing wrong with that. But let's learn how to be efficient and develop the IQ because ideally, like you said, uh, you shouldn't work out longer on an individual or even a small group workout. If you're working out longer than, 85, 90 minutes, then you're probably not going hard enough and or you're risking injury. Um, okay, how, how about this? Um, what's the breakdown of, of play, like actual, you know, you know, if you have a group of play to, to yeah. skill development? Yeah, so like that's a good point. The thing that I've realized and I've really had to pay attention to in the last year and a half is we went from no skill trainers. Like when you and I came up, there wasn't a such thing as a player development guy. They were very rare. We just played a lot. And maybe if we would have had a little piece of that, that would have been great. But now today's player, it's all training and they're not playing. So, like, I think that, you know, maybe 20%, the first, you know, 15 to 20% is just really developing skills, just really kind of isolating the skills for the high school uh, yeah, probably high school and junior high kid. You know, we're doing working on ball handling, we're working on footwork, we're working on pivots, we're working on being able to make lead passes with your left hand, passing off the bounce, and all that kind of stuff. Then the next stage, which is about another fifteen to twenty percent, I would say, is taking those drills and and developing multi-skill drills where you're taking, you're scoring off the bounce, or you're working on your moves and your counter moves, getting a high volume of reps. So that's thirty percent of the workout. Then the next. My approach is almost like uh, a boxing guy with the focus mitts working on the combos and reactions. I'm kind of forcing them to develop their reactions and instincts off certain moves, catered to how they play, how their high school wants them to play or college wants them to play. That's another 15 to 30, 30%. So now when we play, I want to see them play for maybe 30% and really focus on applying the things that we've worked on. So that would probably be my formula. Um, uh, last thing, um, is there, is there one thing that you would tell parents, a lot of parents listen to my podcast, a lot, one thing you tell parents yep. uh, of a young kid in terms of how they should, how they should handle being a parent and, and allowing their kid to grow. Yeah. Well, that's it. Be a parent. Don't be a basketball, you know, don't be a basketball coach. Um, take the same approach as you would if, if your kid was, you're trying to get your kid a tutor for the ACT test. You're not going to go over there and 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 teach. You've hired the tutor for that or I think the doctor. You know, your job as a parent is to make sure you do your homework to find a doctor that you can trust. You know, you ask other parents. You know, you go look at reviews. You make sure they're accredited and all those type of things. And then once you put your trust in that doctor, you let that doctor be the doctor to your child. You're not going to go second-guess that doctor. You're not going to step in while that doctor is talking and then go in there and just say what you have to say. It's the same thing. I had to tell a parent earlier this week. He's a set, He was a seventh grader um, playing in front of this high school coach. Halftime comes. Dad walks on the court 
and gets on his kid for not shooting enough. And I had to tell him, I said, you're doing that in front of the high school coach. That's a bad look. He's already, that's not fair to your kid. Now that high school coach is like, man, this kid has some potential, but I don't know if I want to deal with this parent that's going to be a headache. So just be a parent. How can people get a hold of you or, or follow you on, on IG or on Twitter? Yeah, so uh, my IG and Twitter is the same, culture or die, culture, and then just the word O-R, die. And then my, my website, um, which is a resource for parents and athletes. We have breakdowns. We have inspirational messages. We have clinics in California, Denver, Texas, or wherever is my website. NickGrahamPlayerDevelopment.com. Awesome stuff. Nick, I look forward to seeing you tonight. Thanks so much for joining me on the pod. All right, sounds good, man. Thanks for having me. All right, that's it for the All Ball Podcast. I'm Doug Gottlieb. If you have any questions, any comments, you need anything to comment upon, we'll get you ready for March Madness. More stories, more, more thoughtfulness. You can also follow my radio show. That's 3 to 6 Eastern Time, 12 to 3 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio, foxsportsradio.com, uh, Fox the iHeartRadio app, or SiriusXM. It's like 217 for one and 203 for the other. Check us out every day. And by the way, tell a friend. Download, subscribe, rate our podcast. Tell them. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is All About. A chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.